Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling was 9-11 uh, was itself. Welcome to the live Truth Jihad Radio special edition coming out on Revolution.Radio every Friday evening. The website is revolution.radio. It's not a .com, a .org, or a .edu. It's a .radio. And you should support their excellent efforts promoting free speech through total listener sponsorship. And that's what I do, too. I'm Kevin Barrett of kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you can find some of my stuff through truthjihad.com, which takes you to an obscure Icelandic site that the bad guys can't take down. I do try to bring on guests who have all sorts of interesting stuff to say that's outside the mainstream box. In fact, a lot of it can pretty much get you deplatformed these days. And today's guests are no exception. In the final slot of the show, this is a two-hour live radio show. The final half hour features Rolf Lindgren and Hannah Bettner doing their dynamic musical duo, The Devil Went Down to Georgia and Stole Some Votes. That could get you deplatformed for questioning American elections. In the uh, the next to last half hour of the show, Henry Herskovitz reports from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he's been holding up Holocaust skeptic signs in front of a synagogue as part of his protest that's been going on for, I don't know, decades or something now. Now, if that can't get you deplatformed, nothing can. And in the second half hour of the show, Ken Meyercord, the former Washington, D.C. TV host, We'll come on to talk about the end of the unipolar world. Now, Ken is himself a noted Holocaust skeptic, so there's another reason to deplatform everybody in sight. And finally, here we are in the first half hour with Professor Anthony Hall, who has a new substack, and he's got all kinds of stuff on there that the bad guys are undoubtedly going to call medical misinformation, and they're going to deplatform us for that. So we are basically totally screwed in every which way we're, we're we're covering all the bases here so hey welcome uh tony hall how are you doing hey very well thank you all right Can you hear so, me loud and yes clear? You're loud and clear good 10-4 good buddy uh, canadian truckers yeah. and all that yeah yeah so <laughs> uh so so tony let's let's get started just by mentioning that you're fasting during ramadan but you're outdoing those of us who are doing the Ramadan fast. I've been fasting for Ramadan for two weeks. I'm halfway through Ramadan. But you've been doing, you told me, a 10-day total fast, and you're just drinking water and not eating any food whatsoever for 10 whole days. So are, are you trying to upstage us Muslims or what? Absolutely. <laughs> Jesus is king. <laughs> well yeah well, hey we, we like jesus too so we can agree on that <laughs> yeah unlike uh you know the uh talmudic folks well you're we're already going to get us deplatformed <laughs> yeah anyway if uh jesus is king the christian zionists are kind of subordinating themselves to a, another entity other than jesus and uh if Jesus is king, what what about the Christian Zionists who revere Israel and uh, put 
put Israel as the king. They're, they're committing uh, les, les uh, majesté, aren't they? That's that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, fasting is seems to be through all the traditions, all the religions. Uh, this is the longest I've ever gone, 10 days. And I'm at uh, the 10th day, and sort of this is kind of the culmination of my fast. I wondered when uh, you set this up a couple of days ago, if I should, you know, maybe end it a little earlier and take some food and uh, uh, see the, make sure that I have enough uh, strength to carry on. But I thought, well, on the other hand, I can go on the air and, uh, you know, you do sort of get a different perspective on things when you've been fasting for a long time. Some uh, see it in a spiritual light and there is that. So anyway, whatever we're talking about, be aware that I'm on uh, the final leg of the 10th day of uh, my 10-day fast. So this is your brain on fasting. And, and you probably should eat, eat one of those fried eggs pretty soon. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it, it does alter consciousness, doesn't it? it I know in my case, it, I feel kind of slower, but in sort of more harmonious and, and less jittery. And it's, it's like when you fast, you starve that part of yourself that is always kind of straining at the bit and, uh, you know, creating all the sort of neurotic hangups and, you know, a lot of the sort of reflexive desires and things like that. So you sort of starve that first. And what you're left with is this disembodied consciousness. It's almost a lesson in what it's like to live without a body, which is, of course, a very hard lesson we're all going to have to face when we die. And then, uh, you know, you realize how much of the time you spend in life uh, thinking about what you're going to eat next and getting ready for what you're going to eat next and, uh, <laughs> and whether you should snack and, you know, how to discipline yourself and, with eating and all, all of these things. So when you just sort of take that off the table and say, no, no, no eating, but drinking. And I, I have to admit, I do uh, uh, indulge myself a little bit with a sip of coffee here and there. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a, a, sip, a co sip of coffee fast. I hadn't yeah, heard of that. So, one, but, so uh, you know, if I'm disappointing you that I'm not totally pure, so be it. So is it black coffee or are you adding like thick cream or half and half? Oh, no, no. It's it's black coffee. Okay. Well, that's, that's still a true fast because you're not really getting any calories from that black coffee. Well, coffee is a wonderful thing. It's kind of a, the ideal drug. Um, and I think it must be very close to chocolate. They look so similar, the beans. And, you know, chocolate is a gift of, uh, you know, North America or the Western Hemisphere from the indigenous peoples. So much of our food supplies, corn, beans, squash, you know, it, 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 the, it comes from indigenous peoples in, in the Western hem Hemisphere. And I think coffee, well, it's not in that category, but seems to me so close to chocolate, which is kind of a medicine, kind of mysterious food. So food, uh, there's so much meaning in food. And when I think of that, you know, I think, what are we going to do in this global situation that we're in? Like, it's never, it's coming at us. It's the everything crisis that kind of softened us up with the COVID matter. But now, you know, it's just coming from every direction. The permanent emergency. Yeah, and a many faceted emergency. And, oh, yeah, you know, you, we we're going to have, tr you know, trans discussions in kindergarten, you know, in, in our schools and, uh, uh, you know, dancers, uh, trans dancers, uh, 
drag queens, I think is the term, uh, in our schools and, and you have to take it. And if you don't take it, like for instance, in Ontario, uh, they're passing a law that if you criticize trans people anywhere uh, closer than 100 yards, you'll have to pay a $25,000 fine and maybe go to jail for two years. I mean, they're just completely pushing us, you know, trying to divide us. And you can't tell, well, this is a very serious thing. It's sort of basic, like you protect your children and you don't want your children raped and harmed. And and yet even that is uh, now, well, pedophilia, it's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. Uh, no, we, we are worried about it. So, uh, uh, you know, as this is unfolding, the money is being transformed. Uh, the wars are, you know, uh, reaching a, uh, a level of danger that we've never seen. I don't th- I don't remember anything on this scale during the Cold War. I mean, oh, yeah, they, they never would have dared to do this to Russia during the Cold War. I mean, if they they wouldn't want to get that close to Armageddon. But now I guess yeah. it's OK. And then, you know, the, the the money system is in complete flux and it seems like we're the part of it that's going to cave in, you know, North America. Uh, we seem to be the targets, the whites, the Christians, the deplorables, you know, the insurrectionists, the white supremacists. Uh, well, hey, we, we Muslims are targets, too. Well, yeah, but there has been a kind of subtle transformation like after 9-11 it was definitely designed to demonize muslims and to cause people you know the zionist people behind it to cause people to hate muslims and that still exists um but you know the 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 manipulations taking place in in europe with this vast influx of immigrants mostly muslims um you know now i don't know that Muslims are being weaponized in a way. I, you know, we're all being weaponized. The environment is being weaponized. Our food is being weaponized. You know, they want to give MR, mRNA to animals, uh, put it in our food, put it in plants. Uh, you, you know, there, it, it's, it's so uh, incredible what, we're, what we have to face right now. And yet, there is this spiritual dimension to it. It is, if there ever was a time where it's darkness versus light, you know, Satan versus God, uh, this is the moment. And uh, so here I am in Lethbridge, Alberta, fasting. All right. Well, yeah, I think you put your finger on it pretty well there, Tony, just like you did in these recent essays you wrote on Substack. Uh, and you're looking out at the world from Canada, Substack, you just started pretty recently, and I would urge people to maybe consider subscribing to that. Let and me just say it, say it really clearly, looking out at the world from Canada. And uh, yeah, it's it's something to get going. I'm up to uh, 12 subscribers. You know, <laughs> I've, I've only been on a couple of weeks. Um, and uh, anyway, it, it, it's an interesting prospect, but it, it's really fascinating watching this new element of the internet substack take form and it you know it seems similar to when they were bringing in google when they were bringing in youtube uh that uh you know these things were so great when they came in and remember google when you would just type in the words and it would give you you know 
a clear rendition of the actual articles containing those words uh, without judging the good ones from the bad ones. Now, when you Google something, you have to go through the first 20 items, 30 items, which are like total propaganda to say you're, you know, think this, think this. Oh, don't ever think that. Don't ever think that. Think this, think this, fact check, fact check. And then, you know, by the time you get to the other ones, uh, the lower down the scale ones, uh, your mind is already made up if you're, you know, a, a naive person not realizing. So I find the uh, engineering of the search engines is despicable. Um, you know, I write it often write at Global Research CA, and they're one of those sites that, yeah, you can get to Global Research CA and you can look at the articles on the site, but any of the articles there uh, won't make it into the search engines. If you're just searching, researching a topic, you won't get, uh, you know, my articles uh, on, on Global Research CA or, or your articles. Um, so, you know, we're not absolutely... Uh, uh, Deplatform. Although my site, American Herald Tribune, I was editor in chief of this site and had a colleague in Tehran. It was totally taken down by the FBI. Yeah, uh, that one got nuked. Yeah, and then uh, you know the the gray gray zone and everything. The the sort of controlled opposition. They they wanted to rally around it, but. I had to say, you know, the, the fellow I was working with in Tehran, he felt he had to go by a, a pseudonym, not use his own name. And I didn't like it. And I told him I didn't like it. But uh, anyway, we did get to do a project. It wasn't just about Iranian, uh, you know, Iranian opinions. It had writers from all over the world on many issues. It was a, you know, very... A very lively site, and I, I'm proud to have be, been associated. But for the sort of controlled media types, the fact that I, you know, had gone along with the uh, disguising of of he called himself Sam Brown, but his real name is Ahmed Naruzi. Um, you know, I found it disappointing. Like, so we were actually getting a perspective from Iran into the mainstream. And how many perspectives do we get from Iran? And how, you know, how does Philip Giraldi or whatever, you know, part of that group that judged whether they were going to, uh, how they were going to play it, that the site was taken down so dramatically by the FBI, you know, they opted for the idea, well, you did, uh, you know, sort of side with somebody without being transparent. But if I had been transparent, you know, it, it just would have, it wouldn't have been able to happen. And, you know, this is something. So, so, wait, wait. so, so what, what kind of transparency did they want? Did they want the American Herald Tribune to change its name to the Iranian Herald Tribune? Well, when it was taken down and they said, you know, this site was middle of the road, you know, for conspiracy theory type site, it was no, you know, different. And I sorry to use that name in this context, but, you know, a site that challenges power. It was uh, very, uh, uh, you know, it, it seemed despicable that they would take something like that down. And they were going to run with, uh, you know, they wrote, there were many articles on it. And I could see they were just waiting to make an issue of it. And then they said, and then, the, you know, the editor in chief, he lives in Canada and he, you know, he's, he's a professor and what's the problem? Uh, but, 
then I put it on record finally. I thought, well, given this level of uh, intensity and scrutiny around it, I want to make clear that I was, you know, working with somebody in Tehran knowledgeably. I'm proud of that fact. I like very much, you know, feeling uh, uh, that I could do something about getting Iranian perspectives into the mainstream of world media or, you know, especially U.S. media. And so I told the story of, of working with, uh, you know, Sam Brown, who wasn't Sam Brown. And so that seemed to put me on the shit list. Uh, so, you know, the whole, the whole saga of the American Herald Tribune was dropped. Yeah, that just seems bizarre that the FBI has the right to just nuke websites because they say, oh, well, there's somebody Iranian working with this website. Like, yeah, and we got, you know, hit jobs on a Washington Post and CNN. And, you know, they, they cited these uh, research reports that, suspected that somehow this site was connected to the Islamic Revolutionary Guards. And, uh, you know, that this was all reproduced in the in the top level American media. I must say there was a moment there where it was quite fun to go head to head with the Washington Post and the CNN and mock them. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the these research uh, agencies that we're using were kind of jokes like, their level of competence in doing research was obviously very low. Um, anyway, so so it's it's one saga. Um, another saga is you know being deplatformed from the University of Lethbridge and yeah, that, that was an even bigger. And you were right in the midst of it, and yeah, you know it had a lot to do with going on uh, false flag weekly news, which we did every week for two years together. Yeah, well, Which they're, they're coming after me again now. Just this week, the ADL uh, put out yeah. this anti-Substack hit piece, and, and I featured prominently in it. Well, I'm I'm wondering about that because, uh, like, for instance, UNS, how come the ADL uh, doesn't touch the uh, UNS review, but are now going after Substack? And like at any other site that I can think of, you know, you're conscious of ADL, Anti-Defamation League, you know, the sort of granddaddy, the overseer of this organization of Israeli propaganda, Zionist propaganda. Uh, ADL is, you know, many people will, that won't be new to them, that ADL is formidable. And it's also very deeply involved with the FBI and the CIA and uh, you and I experienced it when we were in Edmonton, when, you know, the Bene Brith Canada branch of the ADL in Canada set the hate speech police on our little gatherings, you know, our, our tiny little gatherings in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, yeah, remember, we, we didn't even know the hate, hate police speech. were there until what? intermission. We, we, we took an intermission halfway through the event. Yeah. And then the and hate was, police came and introduced themselves. He was, a uh, you know seemingly polite uh, black fellow with a and, and he was wearing a police badge but then i started to think you know having gone through that experience i said i, w I wonder how long it's going to be until uh you know when we're lecturing we have a hate speech policeman you know in our classrooms and as it turned out uh you know since i was associated with false like weekly news which i'm proud of uh 
you know, that seemed to qualify me not only for a hate speech policeman, but a hate speech uh, scam job, like a really intense, you know, I ended up being suspended without pay, a senior tenured professor. And you, you know, stuck with me through, through, that was an ordeal. It, it's shocking. Now it, it seems, you know, just run of the mill. But in 2016, I, I, it was quite something to be, you know, demonized and, uh, you know, it's designed to put you in the negative judgment of your friends, of your family, of your colleagues. It's de- it's designed to destroy your reputation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weaponized vicious, propaganda. Vicious, yeah. It's a vicious, yeah. vicious process. And you can't really appreciate how sophisticated and multifaceted it is. It is because you can see once you get in the assembly line, they have an organization. This is the Israel lobby in North America for for this, for that, for the other thing. You know, you're just you just become sort of like a sardine going down the assembly line with, uh, you know, different additives added to the sardine or something to to make you just seem so untouchable and so outrageous. Um, So so now we're seeing this happen you know, with Trump uh, being charged and, you know, he's been treated that way since 2016. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's just, there is no law and order anymore. There's, there is no uh, rule of law anymore. Uh, So, you know, meanwhile, as Trump is, 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 is facing this, you know, the people in the Capitol riot situation, which isn't a riot, which was, you know, actually people walking through the through the Capitol. Um, all well, of they, them they let are you summon out, finally. insurrectionists, you know, white supremacists. And, you know, where is the discussion of uh, who's dominating the Biden government? I mean, is there such a thing as Jewish supremacy? Uh, does that even exist? Where Where is the discussion of that? And of course, of course there can be no discussion of of these issues really as the media is structured now uh because who owns it and uh you know and 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 even saying that is uh you know somehow seditious and will you know might get you locked up uh so um it's have you what do you think of nick fuente speaking of free speech and getting locked up or not locked up like i i find he at times, he's so refreshingly candid and probing in his commentary that he obviously is doing off the cuff, you know, uh, on on his shows. Uh, you know, he associated himself and became buddies with Ye during this. I mean, yeah, last I heard, they were going to run run Ye for president, but I haven't heard the, the official. Yeah, but he he he's saying now that Ye is you know tempering it down and sort of. Uh, you know, he's he's uh, maybe waiting for, you know, the revolution or whatever, whatever the next thing is going well, to be. We've got other good candidates, though, Tony. We, we've got RFK Jr. now and Marianne Williamson. I mean, between Yay, RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson, we actually like the first three announced candidates, along with Trump, are actually not so bad. Tell me about Marianne Williamson. You know, I'm I'm a Canadian and I follow U.S. stuff, but I miss some things. Tell me about Marianne Williamson. Yeah, she, she's famous uh, for her best-selling books, which I think figure around The Course in Miracles, which is a mystical tome 
that uh, it's it's one of these new age mystical things. And her, she, however, seems to take a pretty sensible approach to that stuff. And she's arguing that you know we need a spiritual revolution. And uh, she got in trouble for coming on my radio show several years ago. And then when she ran for president, the media beat her up for having come on my radio show and agreed with me basically about 9-11 truth. And then we had a big debate about Zionism because she's still pretty blue-pilled on that topic. She is Jewish, by the way, too. But overall, she's refreshing in terms of her uh, seeming you know, honesty, sincerity, and, and her commitment to a kind of a spiritual revolution that would allow for people telling the truth in public and things like that. So she's, you know, she's definitely a cut above the average politician. And, and I did. Oh man, I can't imagine what Maysoon Rice is thinking as you're saying all this, Kevin. Maysoon, you know, Maysoon Rice. She's a Palestinian woman in Surrey, uh, England. And uh, anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I, well, maybe she didn't. I had R. Michael Fisher talking about Marianne Williams. Yeah, a I, I, it's a sort of personal thing between you and I. But Maysoon Rice is a, a really deep researcher. She really digs deep, and uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people. A lot of people. She gives research finds out to a lot of people, and I, you know, I'd say cheers to Maysoon Rice, who sometimes is. You know, very politically incorrect. No, shout out to her if she's listening now. It's probably about three in the morning in the UK, so she might not be. But yeah, uh, although she might, because I think I signaled to her I was going to be on the air. Oh, cool. Uh, well, but, hey, hi, hi, Mason. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, big one though, the big story, the monumental story is Robert F. Kennedy. Yep, coming into the race. You know, I've I've seen him many times. I've I became fascinated fascinated with him during the COVID uh, matter, and which is still on the you know the COVID crisis that becomes the everything crisis. And he would often finish his presentations by saying, you know, and I'm I'm in this for keeps. And of course, he puts it in a bigger picture than COVID per se. But you know, the, he he talks about the corporate ca- capturing of you know, not only the pharmaceutical industry, but basically every industry. And it's amazing to hear this coming from that high level of discourse and celebrity. And uh, so he would end his shows often by saying, you know, and I, if I have to, I'm going to you know, die with my boots on. Like, I'm, I'm in this for real. And he obviously is in this for real. And I've heard him on the Dore show do an analysis that, look, you know, Trump was the outsider. Uh, then he came into the campaign and he was leading up to 2016. And he was so fascinating. And, you know, he he, he got a lot of coverage and, and then he got a following and uh, he created a buzz. So right now he's basically the top guy in the Republican Party, you'd have to say the the most recognizable, influential person in the in the Republican Party, uh, and uh, when you when you think of uh, that, uh, he's he's seeing himself in that light, and Dory's telling him, "Oh yeah, you're good, you're great, but can't get your ideas implemented. They'll never let you. They'll never let you come close." And uh, his response is, "Well, look at what Trump did. You know, by creating a populist kind of." Uh, resonance in the in the country um he says i i can do that and man he you know 
he's coming in at a lot higher uh, level of celebrity and, uh, uh, you know, fame, uh, like almost, you know, a, a religious kind of figure because of the martyrdom of his father and his uncle. And uh, imagine if, uh, you know, say he doesn't win the uh, nomination for the Democratic Party. Uh, but, you know, imagine there you are watching Trump and Biden and John F. Kennedy, uh, Robert F. Kennedy. Imagine that could become a third party phenomenon. He could yeah, yeah, he could yeah, start his a own. A lot of places it could go. And, and so, I think that, that Trump comparison is good in that Trump ran against the media and RFK Jr. is going to have to run against the media, too. Well, he pretty much does. And, you know, and he's got the uh, uh, notches on his belt to show that, you know, he he knows how to stand up to big corporations and big lobbies. Uh, and the media is that the media, of course, has demonstrated that, uh, you know, politicians actually have very, a very limited role these days because, you know, they need to get elected. They need to get reelected. And the media definitely creates the framework of what you can talk about and what you can't talk about. And they all go along with it. And, uh, you know, think of, uh, you know, say Trump, say, uh, let's say Bannon and Biden or Bannon and Biden's people like they it's credible. They seem to have, you know, a lot of, to disagree about. But the big unspeakable, undiscussed issue but they're both servants of, you know, Zionist Israel and Zionism's uh, extension and influence in the United States. They're both under the same paymasters. Yeah, and, I, I agree. Tony, let, let's see if Ken does, stuff. too, because we, we just we, we just were joined by Ken Meyer, Corey, and uh, I, I'll bet he would second that opinion. Ken, hello. Are you there? All good. So are we? We're going to open the discussion now, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, I, I, I think we have Ken Meyercourt on the air with us now. He's he, he's scheduled for the second half hour here, which we just entered. But I'm oh yeah, I, I, okay. I didn't hear him. So Ken, hello, come in, Ken. Well, his uh, his image is there, but his uh, his voice isn't. Oh so my I guess, God! That means we, you and I, would have to go over half an hour. Yeah, I know. I guess we do. So, so, oh, so, man. so, continue. Tell, tell me, tell me about the fact that yeah, Biden and Trump and pretty much everybody else that doesn't want to be completely flattened by the media pretty much has to ignore the Zionist elephant in the living room. Yeah, and and we can't talk about it. I, I mean, we're talking about it right now, but at risk, man. Like. You know, the, this is this is like being out out in the middle of the shooting gallery right now. You know, to to, to even raise these things, and you know, and it, it does become kind of like all the fuss about Matt Taibbi as you know some kind of great journalist, a progressive journalist. I mean, the, just living with this reality that uh, you know the 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 whole Zionist question really arises with nine eleven. Which was, you know, definitely, it's very clear that, you know, who did it? Well, it somehow involves the project for the new American century, which is a lot of uh, Zionists, 
many of them American citizens and Israeli citizens. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the role of the uh, five Israelis who were in pri prison for 71 days who were found, you know, high-fiving as the towers went down. Uh, the fact that they're working for urban moving systems and, you know, if, if those towers were uh, planted with explosives and you can just see these explosives going down in the slow motion uh, videos of the fall of the towers, you know, they would have had to been, this would have had to been installed by trucks and their, their urban moving company. The urban moving company ends up being uh, run by uh, an Israeli guy, a you know, Mossad guy. I think I don't think it's Dominic uh, Souter. Dominic Souter, yeah, that you got the name. Anyway, the the evidence points to uh, that if we're going to deal with 9/11, which began this phenomenon of, you know, on on the basis of emergency measures suspending our form of government and putting in place a new form of government whose justification is emergency measures, meaning, well, we have to centralize authority in the executive branch. And it's, yeah, the executive branch of government, but it's also the executive branch of, you know, universities and the executive branch of corporations. And everybody's got to be on lookout all the time for, the, you know, the, the Muslim terrorist is going to just wander in. And so we've got to make sure that we take action you know, before any process of, you know, with involving innocence until guilt is proven. I mean, 9-11 was uh, the breakthrough. I mean, there's a lot of history before 9-11 we could talk about, but that changed the structure of our laws, of our government, of, uh, you know, it, it planted fear in people's minds. It was the prototype for the COVID medical false flag. Now, you, which, you know, was it a bioweapon, the virus itself? You and I, you know, we could talk a long time about that, but let's try to head back past that one. And I think we have that the uh, injection, the so-called uh, vaccination that isn't really a vaccination that is. Well, yeah, yeah, in, in your recent article, Tony, uh, the, uh, per, the article on the war on terror is a war on humanity, you mentioned that the military was in charge of uh, so much of the COVID vaccine rollout and other aspects of the COVID emergency. And this is what, this is really breaking news, profound news, you know, changing the whole sort of paradigm of how we see COVID, what, what, what it came to be called COVID. You know, it's Sasha Latipova and Catherine Watt. You know, uh, coming out of nowhere, it seems, you know, stepping up and th they together can really make the case that this has been a Department of Defense operation since uh, its inception, that it wasn't treated legally, uh, technically as a pharmaceutical product, as a pharmaceutical issue. It was a military issue. A war, a war against whom? Well, humanity, that uh, the products that came out of, you know, not Pfizer and Moderna, but rather, you know, traditional military contractors, those products were classified as countermeasures. 
not pharmaceutical products. And then the, you know, whole inexplicable thing. Hello. Hello. Chime in. Hello. Hello. I guess. Hey, hey, hello, Ken. Sounds like we got Ken on the line finally. Yeah. So well, you, welcome, so Ken. you so, won't cut me off in the in the midst of this uh, discourse here. Hi, hi, Ken. I'm Tony Hall. I've pre- been preceding uh, you on this web uh, on this radio show. Can you hear? Yeah. yeah. So, so Ken, welcome. Tony was just talking about how we're living in a state of permanent emergency from 9/11 to the COVID thing, and the, he, he discusses some recent research showing that the military was in charge of the vaccine rollout and other aspects of the reaction to the whole COVID pseudo-emergency. And, and, and so the key is, you know, you, you ask, well, how come they didn't do proper tests? And, and you know, apparently fights are new. It causes, caused death. The, the injection I'm talking about caused deaths and, and uh, large numbers of ad, so-called adverse effects. And, you know, how come the whole system of regulating a, a new product didn't, didn't seem to apply in this matter well the way they describe it they were paid handsomely Pfizer and Moderna and other companies to kind of play act that this injection was coming out of a traditional uh, supply chain starting with the with the big uh, the pharmaceutical brand name companies and uh, uh, but if you look at it uh, in, in a deeper level this was play acting. It was, uh, you know, performance art, as they call it. Um, and uh, it was leading to uh, uh, the situation that we now see where the evidence keeps growing that there really are a lot of so-called adverse effects, people being maimed and crippled, people being sterilized, and some number of people, you know, dying in the whole world. It could well be millions of people in the whole world so far with a, a uh, having taken a shot that is harmful to your natural immunity, which will cause you to be less able to fight off diseases and contagions of all types. Um, how come so far, you know, what's Fauci doing? He's in Italy uh, working on, you know, trying to prevent the next pandemic. Well, what's he really doing? Fauci, of course, was appointed by Cheney to uh, lead up, not lead up, but be the instrumental person. Uh, Cadillac, I think is his name, who was leading it. But uh, Fauci, you know, a big part of his power base was he was giving out the money for biodefense and was the go-between guy between the sort of, sort of secret system uh, within, you know, the U.S. military and the, the deep state and, and the above board, the NIH and uh, uh, NIAID. Yeah. So anyway, right. I think and, we'll make a transition here, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's a good summary, Tony, and that, that role of Fauci is near intermediary between the germ warfare complex and the fake, you know, civilian NIH bureaucracy, something that yeah, we should Yeah, and, and there's more. also connection to 9-11. So 9-11 yeah. is where we lost the plot. We allowed it to happen. You know, people like Taibi, who was a hero going in front of this committee, this Jordan committee in the United States. Well, you know, he wrote a chapter in one of his books condemning the 9-11 truthers as silly, you know, 
silly people like Chomsky did, Chomsky who went after you as, in particular as sort of the example of the kind of ne'er-do-well so you know, supposed professor pursuing 9-11 topics, that this was somehow reprehensible, that this was somehow a, a disgrace to the academy, that people would study this subject, you know, taking it far beyond some kind of analytical approach and making it totally ad hominem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I just brought that back with, you know, where I republished uh, my, uh, or reposted my talk at the left forum on uh, Chomsky, why Chomsky's wrong about 9-11. So, so do you want me to tune, tune out here? and you well, can... well, yeah, or you, if you want to hang around and listen to uh, what we're going to hear from Ken, that'd be cool. I mean, maybe you might have a Kevin? quick reaction or two. So, yeah, let's let, let, let's, let's let Ken get a word in edgewise. Yeah, get, get on the podium here. Okay, so, yeah, welcome, Ken. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all, right. all right. You're echoing. I up. think I just got a call from you. <laughs> okay, there we I go. Did, I, think I, fi- I think I finally got my problem resolved. You can hear me all right? Yeah, now you're finally coming through with no echo and loud and clear. So I assume you agree with uh, with Anthony Hall that... The, I haven't heard anything so far. Okay, well, the, the politicians, he says, uh, in the mainstream basically have to ignore the Zionist elephant in the living room. And we'll, we'll never hear about that from, you know, from Trump, from Biden, or from anybody else in running, you know, as a mainstream. Bannon. Group. Yeah, Bannon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Ken? Yeah, in a general way, yeah. So <laughs> they're not going to, uh, yeah, they're not uh, even, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't so know yeah, I, what well, I'm coming in on here. Okay, well maybe we should let you uh, take off on your own piece. You did. Uh, you wrote uh, an email, sent it out, which I took the liberty to republish at the radio blog, which people can find by going to truthjihad.com and clicking on the radio link, and that takes you to that Icelandic site with the radio post. And uh, you scroll down a little bit, and you'll find this. Uh, piece on the multipolar world. And so, Ken, you pointed out that the uh, U.S. is conspicuously absent in terms of its aircraft carrier fleet in the Persian Gulf, which is pretty bizarre, and also that Taiwan is maybe swinging towards China's way away from the U.S. and what this portends in terms of the multipolar world. So tell tell us about the the aircraft carriers. They're supposed to be in the Persian Gulf, but aren't going there anymore. No, no, they're hanging out in the Mediterranean. Um, they would usually, uh, up until 2020 to three years ago, they they send a aircraft carrier strike group in there every year. Some some years they send in two different uh, carriers on two different occasions. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering. Uh, my the possible explanation is that that they would be sitting gut ducks in the uh, Persian Gulf um, should uh, hostilities arise between. Uh, the United States and Iran, and it's a tribute. If that's the case, then it's a tribute to uh, Iran's uh, increasing military capabilities. Um, but uh, I don't know why else we would have. And you know, it, re- it goes along with this uh, recent resumption of diplomatic relations between uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, that was that's mind-boggling. <laughs> so it seems like the Persian Gulf. Which, of course, the Arabs call the Arabian Gulf, and my Iranian friends are going to start throwing rotten fruit at me for even saying that on the air. <laughs> uh, it's not an American lake anymore now, is it? Uh, 
Uh, well, no, I don't think it is. Uh, and, you know, Iran has for decades proposed that the the countries that actually border on the Persian Gulf establish a uh, mutual uh, uh, agreement uh, for the defense of the of the Persian Gulf for all of them. And who knows, maybe that's what we'll see now that uh, uh, our influence there is waning. And, you know, it might not just be a tribute to the power of the Iranian military. And, of course, we heard from Tony Hall earlier in the show about how apparently the, the American government must be in fear of the IRGC, that is the Revolutionary Guard Corps, because they they run around, you know, looking under every bed for, you know, some connection to the IRGC. That was the excuse the FBI used to take down Tony's uh, site, the American Herald Tribune, that he worked with an Iranian on. And the FBI then apparently was ordered by somebody high up to nuke that website. And their excuse was that there was some, allegedly they thought there was some connection that they never actually made explicit to the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. So, yeah, yeah, that, of course, the Iranian military is formidable with their amazing drone manufacturing, their, you know, missiles, putting uh, rockets in space and stuff. But also the technology in general is improving for anti-ship weapons. Anti-ship missiles have gotten so that there's really no defense against them. And And, that means that, yeah, go ahead. And uh, they have to, I mean, you probably know more, I'm sure you know more about this than I do, uh, Kevin, but uh, I have the impression they have all these speedboats. And it looks to me like they have adopted a swarm approach. You know, they can't take on our our ships directly. Uh, it wouldn't be a fair fight. But uh, they can send so many of these smaller ships, and one of them can sink an aircraft carrier uh, with the proper uh, Torpedo, I assume, um, which is something I'd always thought that was this mistake Iraq made. They tried to, they were always buying these tanks, but they, their tanks were always, uh, you know, not as good as ours. And your your tanks are pretty worthless. Tanks for no you, tanks. Yeah, <laughs> tanks for no tanks. Your tanks are pretty worthless if your maximum range of your, your cannon is 2,000 yards and the other side can shoot uh, their cannon 3,000 yards, <laughs> your, your tanks are never going to get close enough to, to shoot. I think that's what happened to the Iraqis. And I, I, and I am not a military man. This is, this is just fun between you and me, okay? And anybody else is listening, we shouldn't take it too – I'm sure no one does, it does take me too seriously. But uh, I think they would have been better off buying all these t- Toyota pickup trucks and put a – Anti, uh, some sort of anti-aircraft gun. It's a powerful gun in the in the back there, and we've had thousands of these things, and uh, swarmed our tanks. You know, a lot of a lot of the pickups would be blown up before they got close enough to get the tank. But if there are enough of them, anyway, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's what they're going to do with the speedboats. So between yeah, the speedboats and the anti-ship missiles, I think it's uh, probably a very effective technique for a, a country like Iran, which can't build aircraft carriers yet, or uh, or, or well, I don't think they really want them. I mean, Iran is not interested in projecting. Oh, no, I don't think they do either, But they do want to. They have to be concerned about our aircraft carriers, and they yeah. have to. Have, uh, some the military some technology is changing, so aircraft carriers ain't what they used to be. And they're yeah, sitting ducks. Yeah. They're well, sitting that, ducks. Aircraft carriers are sitting ducks. Well, yeah. then why are the Chinese building them? I don't know. Prestige. That's well. Are they not sitting ducks? Like, 
Well, yeah. in the, especially in the Persian Gulf, I think the fact that that's, they never get through the Strait of Ormuz, uh, yeah. you know, that's barely wider than the creek behind my house. I'm exaggerating. Uh, but still, that, that's a bottleneck that uh, uh, seems very easy to the, the aircraft carriers would be uh, sitting ducks at that particular part of the Persian Gulf. Well, you know, Ken, Tony just offered a good segue to the second topic of your mini essay, which is what's going down in Taiwan. You know, you just yeah. mentioned that China's building aircraft carriers, and probably part of that has to do with uh, Taiwan. But you mentioned the political forces in Taiwan seem to be shifting. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I'm no expert on this, but I was surprised to learn um, back around December, I think, that in the uh, local elections in November, uh, the ruling party uh, in Taiwan, of which the current president is a member, was the head of, um, till till her her party suffered a, a devastating defeat in the elections, uh, only winning whatever I said in my email five out of twenty nine cities mayoral races and and a uh, hundred less uh, council seats than the Kuomintang. Don't you find it uh, ironic that the Kuomintang is the one most open to reunification with communist China? considering why the Kuomintang is on Taiwan to begin with? That, that's interesting. I mean, they, we never, they, we never hear they it. lost to the Chinese communists, right? Right. So somehow the mainstream media didn't really pay that much attention to this. It's just like the mainstream no, okay. media makes us believe that Ukraine is full of nothing but Ukrainian speakers. And in fact, it's half Ukrainian speakers and half Russian speakers, but we never get the perspective of the Russian speakers in Ukraine. Likewise, in Taiwan, we're told everybody in Taiwan hates China and doesn't want to be reunited with China. But exactly, as, you, yeah. as you point out, this uh, Kuomintang party, the KMT, uh, just defeated the uh, the establishment party, 367 to 277 seats in, in the local council elections. So and there's a yeah. presidential election coming up in January, and uh, this... Uh, uh, for a previous president who was tour touring mainland China shortly before uh, the Taiwanese president came for her current visit in the United States. Um, and if he's reelected re as president of Taiwan, I, I wonder if uh, he won't uh, put into motion some sort of re reunification plan, which would, you know, cause us to wet our panties. Well, of course, that's probably China's strategy. Just like Russia uh, really had a non-aligned Russia-leaning Ukraine back in 2014 based on the deal that it offered to Poroshenko, a uh, better deal than NATO or the, the uh, EU was offering. Likewise, ultimately, China will probably be able to offer Taiwan a better deal than the West can. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm thinking if, uh, you know, Taiwan's one of Taiwan's main industries are one of them. And and once again, I'm no authority on this. I, I'm hesitant to speak, but take it for what it's worth. You know, is, is uh, computer making computer chips. And that's uh, a very sensitive product right now. Uh, I assume they sell most of the chips to um, Apple and Microsoft, uh, to the United States and Japan. Uh, but uh, they probably have an even bigger. I think they sell a lot of them to China, too. Uh, but uh, China could very well be a bigger market than <laughs> what with uh, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. The way things are going, it's uh, it looks like the multipolar axis is starting to dwarf the old unipolar axis, and that leads to the final segment of your mini essay, which was about that you you attended one of these think tank type events that you're always going to and causing trouble at, and sometimes getting <laughs> video footage of. Yeah, <laughs> and you mentioned that there were some uh, some what uh, mid level State Department types or whatever, who were basically facing the inevitability of a multipolar world. And yeah, they seem to, they, they were, you know, what is Generation X? How old is are the Generation X people? These these uh, people were in their 30s to 40s, I don't know, mid-level positions. No, right? I thought Generation X was like the 50s. Aren't they right behind the Well, that's what or? I'm saying. I don't know. X, Y, or Z. <laughs> Take you. Yeah, back. I can't keep track. Either. Anyway, they were mid-level. You know, they were they were uh, had responsible positions in. Uh, I forget the agencies they worked in, uh, but I, they two of them said, uh, you know, they they take it in their agency that um, we have to uh, adjust to expect a multipolar world. Um, and you know, that, and then t- oh, on the Ty- Taiwan issue, like it's Honduras bailed out on Taiwan. Paraguay is about to bail out on uh, Taiwan, like even countries in the Americas, you know, the sort of historical core of the American empire are bailing out on Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. that's a yeah, bad Guatemala sign for the maybe next. Guatemala, really? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, president of Guatemala, or I think the Taiwanese were claiming that the Guatemala was uh, sort of doing a shakedown on them, demanding more money, or they would uh, recognize uh, China. Wow, because Guatemala is usually, you know, pretty U.S. occupied, not as bad as Honduras. Yeah, but yeah well, that's still. you know, if we can't get Guatemala to stick by our sides, <laughs> who can? Well, we still got Belize. Belize, yeah, we got Belize. Okay. <laughs> oh man, and you got Canada. Panama. Yeah, well, we, yeah, we do have Canada. Isn't it amazing uh, that the Europeans are putting up with the uh, suffering they're going through economically? Like being attacked by the U.S. government, their energy supply being sabotaged. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's Germany by the United States, like that kind of thing. And they, they don't raise a peep, it seems. Except Hungary and, and and Turkey. Well, if you uh, defend if you defend uh, your own country in Germany, you must be a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of reached that point, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Yep. Well, we have about a minute and a half left here. Uh, any <laughs> any final thoughts, Ken and and or Tony? You take well, it away, uh, Ken. I'm sorry to take your time. Uh, okay, I, I encourage everybody suffering. to watch. Watch the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Uh, this is a it, we're uh, there. We're authorized to, to sell six, 26 million more barrels out of it uh, starting this month. I don't know how long it's going to take them to sell those 26 million, but if they after that they continue to drain the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, there's going to be a hue and cry raised in this country. Okay, well that is a, a big issue now that Saudi Arabia uh, told Biden to stuff it. And, yeah. Uh, right. Cut back their production to jack up the oil prices. And that's going to be really tough on Biden in the next elections, which could set up an interesting situation with uh, Trump and or well, RFK if, Jr. going after him. 
if we, if we do drain the purpose of why we've been draining the SPR is to support uh, Europe, Western Europe, since we cut off their supply from Russia. Uh, and if we have to keep draining that supply, it means uh, oil is tight for the Europeans, and eventually they're going to uh, do something about it. All right, we ran out of oil, we ran out of weapons, and it looks like uh, Russia ends up prevailing in Ukraine. That's uh, one of the likelier scenarios. Well, we're going to have to leave it there for the first hour. So thank you, Kent Meyercord and Tony Hall. It's okay. uh, it great catching touch base with both of you. I'll yeah. check out now. Thanks, so Kevin. Long. Okay, bye-bye, Tony. Bye-bye, Ken. Bye. See you next time. Okay, back in the next hour with two more ultra-controversial guests. We've got uh, Henry uh, Herskovitz talking about his protests at the local Beth Israel Synagogue, which he does every week. And then Rolf Lindgren and Hannah Bettner are going to sing their election email conspiracy song with Double Went Down. We'll be right back after this message.